another question again. Good morning, church. How are you? Good. Listen, there's two ways to answer that, right? There's a way that we can answer it by how we feel, and then there's a way we can answer it by what is true and what is real. And if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith, you should be great this morning because your standing with Christ is secure. Amen? Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. Now, there are, there are certain seasons that we go through in life that leave us at a place where we can possibly find ourselves questioning God, just uncertain of what may come about. And you know what, for me, I especially am tempted to question the goodness of God when I am doing things for the Lord and they do not go as planned. You ever have that? Like you find yourself struggling, wrestling through some things, and you're like, God, I am doing this for you and this is what you are allowing to happen? Uh, you know, when we planted this church, a few years ago, I didn't, I honestly didn't quite expect to face some of the trials that we went through. Um, you know, I, I don't know if anybody knows what the housing market has been like the last few years. Anybody trying to get a house, struggling with that? Uh, we sold our house thinking we're just going to find another great house. God's always been good. He's always provided, and it's going to be easy. And, and it took us two and a half years to find a house, not, not to put any unhopefulness in the hearts of those searching. Uh, and then when we did find one, we spent way more than I thought we would. Way more than we spent on the previous homes that we had purchased. Just also take, for instance, our church meeting place. Uh, we were at Jefferson Elementary, which if you were there, it was a good space. Like we fit there nicely. There was room to grow. It really was great. I mean, yeah, you had to set up every weekend, but other than that, it was good. But six months into that, we found out that, hey, guys, you guys got to get out. All that money that you invested to make this space work, it's, it's on you now. You figure out a different place. And, it, and that was just a struggle, if you remember. We had many people searching. We had builders. We had realtors. And we just could not find a place. The only thing that was available was this party hall on Middlebury Street in Elkhart, which was far more north and west than we wanted to be. And, and that was a dark season. Those were uncertain times where I was just like, God, we're doing this for you, and this is what you're allowing to happen. But here's the thing. I'm going to get into our housing situation. I'll get in. We, we talked about the church. God has always been faithful. God is always faithful. God will always be faithful, even in uncertain times. And Paul is an example of a guy who had everything go against him seemingly all the time. But through those uncertain times, he continually had his gaze on the Lord. And here is what Paul, I think, would want us to do in light of uncertain times that we may face. Look for God in those times. Look for God in uncertain times. When Things seem hazy when things are dark. The Lord is the one that we are to look to. So as we dive into the message this morning, let's look at the scriptures. Follow with me, Acts 23, as I read, starting in verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy they went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. 
Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of his Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearsmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also, provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. When I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen, and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that it was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's Praetorium. So let's go to the Lord now before we discuss this text. Father, thank you for the reminder this morning, Lord, that you alone are worthy of praise because of what you accomplished on the cross, Lord. You did not despise the cup. You did not turn the cup down. You drank it all. You took on the wrath of God so that every person who would ever repent and believe would not have to face the wrath of God. God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for the remembrance this morning. God, may it be in our hearts and in our minds, in our thoughts every day, Lord. We need you. God, this morning as we ponder Paul's life in uncertain times, how he continually clung to you, how he looked for you, God, I pray that you would spur us on in our uncertain times, that we would not lose hope, but our gaze and our sight would be fixed on you in those times. So, Lord, would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. God, we are desperate for you. 
unless you take the veil off, God, we are without hope. And God, if there be some here who have never had the veil taken from their eyes, never had the scales fall, Lord, would you allow that to happen today? That they would repent of their sins and place their faith in you and find the eternal rest that you've given us, Lord, the eternal hope. God, we need you this morning, and we thank you that two or more, where two or more are gathered, you are surely with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mean, don't you just feel for Paul as you look at everything that he had to endure? I mean, so much suffering, continually under trial. He's escaped life who knows how many times. He's been beaten, and here he is again running for his life, finding out about a threat that had been taken to him. And here's the, here's the amazing thing about Paul. Despite everything that the Jewish people were trying to do to him, his heart was still with them. He was desperate for Christ to rescue him. He even said this in Romans 9. Don't turn there, but if you want to write it down, look at it later, you can. But Romans 9, 1 through 3, this is what Paul said. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And you see Paul's heart in these uncertain times toward those who were trying to take his life. He, he would, it's almost as if he would want to lose his salvation in order that his people may gain it. This is the heart that Paul had. And even in these uncertain times, Paul looked to his heavenly father for hope, and he trusted him. And so this, this morning, there are a few things that I think Paul understood that will help us when we face uncertain times. Uh, here's the first thing we are to understand. Rejection of God can lead to extreme behavior. Rejection of God can lead to extreme behavior. Look uh, again at the beginning of verses 12 through 15 there. What we, what we see here is that some Jews, 40 of them, have made a plot and bound themselves to neither eat nor drink until Paul was killed. And, and so they go to the council, they go to the high priest, and they say, this is what we're doing, and we need you to set it up so that we can take Paul out and kill him and be done with him. Now, if you remember last week, Paul had just riled up the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He brought up resurrection, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrections. The Pharisees did believe that we were resurrected after we die. And so that created this massive fight, which ultimately led Paul to be brought out into the barracks. And now here they are, the Jews. Now, I don't know if this is the Sadducees who are planning this. Uh, perhaps the Pharisees and the Sadducees worked things out and said, man, Paul duped us. We got to take care of him and we got to be rid of this guy. Whatever the case is, they are going after Paul and they want him dead. Do you not see the, the lunacy of this? The evil of these people who are claiming to love God. These Jewish leaders, the high priests, the elders, their work was for, quote unquote, the Lord. And yet here they are planning to kill an innocent man who they just can't stand because he is, he is calling them out. He is exposing them for the frauds that they are. And, and so 
this has led them to this extreme behavior of wanting to kill Paul. Now, imagine this. Imagine if uh, I go to my elders, Mark and Aaron, and I'm like, you know what, Isaac Sponseller, he's a He's an Ohio State fan, and we just cannot allow Ohio State fans in our church. They don't belong here. Um, we need to take him out. And so let's set it up to where I'll ambush him out in the parking lot, and we'll be done with Ohio State fans. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Not in a million years would I ever do that, not even to an Ohio State fan. <laughs> but yet, when, when, we, when people reject God, it can lead to extreme behavior. I'll give you an example of a guy that I came across several years ago. I, I may have shared this story before, but I was uh, the soul care pastor at Gospel City Church. Uh, that's our sending church in Granger. And it was a Wednesday night, and this guy comes in just, just, just fraught, like just nervous and worked up. And you could just see like he was just, he was crushed by something. And he began to give his story to me, share his story. And he talked about how he had given his life over to pornography and became addicted to it. And it just became all-consuming in his life. And, and here's the thing. If you're not careful with pornography, it can lead you further and further down a dark road that you do not want to go. And this man started getting involved with illegal things. I'm not going to get into details about that. And by the time that he came to me that Wednesday night, the police had gotten involved. And they had taken away all of his electronics. And his wife had kicked him out of the house. And so he's coming to church looking for hope. What do you, what do you say to a guy to that? Where you're just like, what have you done? And I don't remember what I said, but I prayed for him and went on his way. And two weeks later, I turned on the news. And there's his picture on the news. And he was sent to prison for what he had done. Now, I get it. That is a extreme case. But however, if we are not careful, this, by the way, this is a man who claimed to be a Christian. He claimed to be a follower of Jesus, and this is what he allowed to happen. And we as Christians, there are certain areas in our life where we can find ourselves rejecting God. What I mean by that is like, let's take pornography, for instance. You know what? Nobody else has to know about this. This is just me. I'm just like, it's a release. It's a stress release. It's an escape. And, and we think it's private. And that can lead us to a place where, uh, have you ever, I've heard of stories of Christians who believe God, quote unquote, told them to divorce their spouse and marry somebody else who they were having an affair with. Can we all acknowledge that is not the ways of the Lord? That is not what God has called us to do. But that's what happens when we reject God, when we refuse to allow him to speak into certain areas of our life. I'm also reminded of a guy by the name of Joshua Harris. Have you heard of that name? If you're my age, I'm 44, you've probably heard of a book that he wrote, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Uh, which, by the way, I'm not here to denounce that book. I actually think there's some good, some good principles in that book. But regardless... Uh, he came out later and just kind of renounced the book and even went further. It just kind of just declined majorly. And a couple years ago, he came out saying, I am no longer a Christian. And ended up divorcing his wife and just went sideways. He, he wrote the book, Sex is Not the Problem, Lust is. A really good one. 
And then now he's posting pictures of Miley Cyrus in a, in a scantily clothed outfit swinging on a wrecking ball. This is what happens when we reject God. It can lead us to drastic things. It can lead us to drastic places. We read about this in Romans. Keep your finger here. Turn with me just a few pages over to Romans chapter 1. We see what happens when we allow sin to reign, when we reject the truth of God, when we reject his word. This is what happens to us. Romans 1, starting in verse 21. For all they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, now we're kind of beyond idols as far as like a statue, but you see the, the lunacy of putting your hope in a literal statue? Like, I think of the, do you remember the Philistines when they had stolen the Ark of the Covenant and what kept happening to the God that was next to the Ark? Remember, it kept falling over, and, and, and ultimately, the Philistines still rejected God. But, like, they put all their hope in a, a, an idol. That's the craziness that happens when we reject God. We put more hope in an image than we do in a Savior. We put more hope in, in the Big Bang Theory than we do in a, in a sovereign creator. It really makes no sense, but, but that's what happens. Our, our minds are darkened. The scriptures continue. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here's what happens when we reject God. We start lifting up creature. That may be ourselves, where we're pleasing our own flesh. We're doing what we want to do. That is the rejection of the creator and the worship of the creature. But if you are God and then you are God, how does that go? Do gods really go well together? <laughs> Not really. Not at all. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Do you see this in our society? That not only are we called to be um, accepting of other people. Now, do I think we should live at peace with others as long as we are capable of and no one's being harmed? Absolutely. Uh, but I, I'm not going to accept the behavior that goes against the, the will of God. And we as a society have approved, not only allowed it, but have approved of homosexuality. It, you look at the way we were created. A man's body was created for a woman's body. It's very clear. It's scientific. And yet, when we reject truth, when we reject the reality that things are to be a certain way, then everything comes into picture. Like, you reject a standard of truth, then who decides what truth is? I mean, think about that. Aren't you glad that we have a truth to look to, not a truth that we make on our own? 
It is crazy. It makes no sense to me when we choose to believe in you have your truth and I have my truth. That cannot function together. What if I feel like I should punch you in the face and that's what's right and good? You're not going to agree with that. I know that's kind of stupid, but like when you think about it, it's pretty stupid to think that there is not absolute truth. God has given us his word not to restrain us, actually to free us, to live in the realm of his word, to live in the realm of his word because what he has said is true and is what is best for us. But when we reject God, we start doing crazy things and we start denying, we, you know, like I've said before, we like this, we like, like the world likes to bring up science in certain times and in other times we deny science. Like, what does the good truth of God's word tell us? Verse 28 in Romans 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Isn't that interesting? In the midst of all those things, you can tell your kids, hey, you were listed with the murderers just then. (laughs) (laughs) Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Are these things that describe people in our society? Absolutely. And if we're not careful, they could be descriptions of us at times. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is what happens when we reject the truth of who God is and we reject the reality that there is a truth that exists outside of ourselves. A society cannot function in a place where everybody makes up their own truth. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? Why do we even have laws? If truth is whatever is truth for you, then why do we even have laws? Do you know why? It's because it's embedded in us the reality of God. Why can't we not just go kill whoever we want to? Because it's embedded in us that God said, thou shalt not kill. But here's the thing. Here's what we need to be mindful of. This is not an opportunity for us to be angry at those who mess up. Actually, it should, it should have the opposite effect. When we understand the reality that the rejection of God can lead to extreme behavior, we shouldn't be surprised when we come across it. We shouldn't be surprised at a society that rejects the reality and the truth of who God is for created things. Therefore, we should look at our own lives and realize for those of us who have repented of our sin and placed our faith in him, only by God's grace are we not a mess like the man that I mentioned. And even that man has the ability. Somebody came in and told the stories. Like, I'm not sure if it's the same person, but shared a similar story of a guy who was radically transformed, repentant, and, and was able to have a radical transformation in prison and have, have a major influence in his society. So we can't just act like, oh, they're evil and nasty and we stay away from them. It leads to compassion. I mean, think of our Savior on the cross. He was just beaten by these men. He was, had nails driven through his hands and his feet, hung on a cross, gasping for breath. He looks at these soldiers who are throwing lots, mocking him, 
for his clothes. And what does Jesus look down and say to them? Father, forgive them. Why? They know not what they do. They don't know what they are doing. See, Paul, that's why Paul wished that he could change places because he understood the hope of God, but he understood also the reason why they were treating him the way they were because their, their minds were darkened. They didn't know another way. So we shouldn't lead us to anger towards the broken world. It should rather lead us anger towards sin and a pleading with God to open their eyes. But when it comes to uncertain times, super helpful for us to understand rejection of God can lead to extreme behavior. And you may be the recipient of it one day. Maybe you already have the recipient of awful sins committed against you by people who are blinded. Look at verse 16 of Acts 23. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Here's the second thing we should understand when it comes to uncertainty. Nothing slips by without God noticing. Nothing slips by without noticing. Now, when I, when I first read through this text, uh, the first thing I do, I like to do when I'm studying uh, for a, a sermon or just like a Bible study is I'll take the scriptures on a, like a printed page and I'll underline uh, everything in blue that speaks of God. Blue is my favorite color and God's awesome, so that's why I do that. Uh, so I'll, I'll highlight the, the words in blue that speak of God, like him, he, God, Lord. I'll do that in blue, and I'll underline anything that he does. And I notice, like, there's nothing in blue here. <laughs> All throughout, from verses 12 through 35, this is just narrative of what happens with Paul, but we see nothing of God. We don't read anything. But, but here's what I know. I, I know what God promised would happen with Paul, and so therefore I don't look at what happened here as if it was some kind of accident. Let's review what took place here. So you got the son of Paul's sister. What is, who is that to Paul? Nephew, very good. That's a heritage lesson for you. Paul's nephew. Now, we don't know anything about Paul's family. We don't hear about it elsewhere. This is the only time we hear anything, and we don't know anything about this guy. And he hears about the ambush. He goes to Paul. Paul sends him to the tribune. The tribune sends him uh, and gets it all set up to where He's going to be taken care of, and the, the plans of the Jews are going to be thwarted. Now, we could look at that different ways. We could say, well, Paul was just a smart guy. He knows how the Jews work, and so he made sure he had a family member involved. Maybe. I choose to believe that this was God's plan. It was not in the cards, in God's will, 
for Paul to suffer at the hands of the Jews here. And so he knew what was going on, and he made sure someone was there who would deliver the message that Paul would not be ambushed. And that is what is going on here. I mean, just look at all throughout the book of Acts. It is full of God's sovereignty. And Acts 23 here is no different. God's hands are completely on Paul's life. And I I want you to think about this. Like, God is never surprised. You ever think about that? Think of how often do we get surprised by things. Um, earlier, I think I did it more in our marriage. I would, I, I just love to scare Nikki and get her to jump. Like, I know it's not a good thing. If you're not married yet, looking to be, that's not a good thing to do to your spouse. Uh, but like, how often do we just get surprised? Or we get bad news and it like throws us sideways or everything's going smoothly and you get that diagnosis or your car breaks down and all of a sudden financially, you don't know what you're going to do. Like, nothing ever happens where God is like, oh, goodness. I did not expect that to happen. (laughs) Now, one time did he look at Paul and think, oh, shoot, I I wasn't planning on this. How am I going to get Paul out of this mess now? Like, like here's, here's something that should blow our minds. Do you realize that God doesn't think? He doesn't have to ponder and like, hmm, I got to think about that. Like, he is the truth. He, He knows all things. If you don't believe me, let's look at Psalm 139. Let's turn to Psalm 139 with me. This speaks of God's intimacy with us. He intimately knows us. It's amazing to me. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. A little creepy if you think about it in the wrong way. Except he's a good God, right? You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. While you're forming the thoughts of what you want to say in response to something, God already knows what you're going to say. Doesn't that blow your mind? You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. That is the proper response to the ways of God. I I cannot even grasp how amazing you are. This is why when we have questions, when I have questions about God and what he chooses to do, often I just come and say, God, not my will but yours be done. You know far more of what's going on in this situation than I could ever think of. You know how are you going to use it. All I know is that you, you work everything for the good of those who love you. And so that is the only thing I can hope in now. But you are too wonderful for me. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You ever find yourself in a dark, uncertain season, and you see no way out? You can't see the end of the tunnel? You see how there's no way this is going to be good? For God, he knows the end already. 
He knows what you're going through. He knows what awaits you. Nothing ever slips by without God noticing. He's not like us. I have five kids, and I think I, think I, I give attention to all five of my kids, but not perfectly. God doesn't have to, like, deal with one child. Wait, I'll get with you in just a second. God is so amazing that he can be with you, 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 he can be with you at all times. Nothing ever goes by without God noticing. It's kind of a warning in that too, isn't there? There's no such thing as secret sin in the eyes of God. And if you remember what David said, against you and you only have I sinned, sin is primarily only against God, primarily. So if you find yourself this morning in hidden sin, I would encourage you, remind you, God knows. Repent. Find somebody who can carry you through that. But from the positive perspective, remember Remember, nothing slips by without God noticing. Paul was not in a dangerous place in the eyes of the Lord because his eyes were always on him continually. Look at verse 23. Bless you. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen... And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris, And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Here's the last thing that we need to understand when we face uncertain times. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. So we learn that the tribune's name is Claudius. And Claudius is sending a massive army. You see this? 200 centurions, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. 470 people are there to deliver Paul to his destination. And of all places, he gets to hang out in Herod's praetorium in his residency. I mean, he's living high life here. But do you notice how Claudius responded? Look at, look at what he said again. Look, he's saying that 
this man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed. Was that a fact? That was a fact. If you remember, he was trying to tell them how God rescued him, and they like yanked him out, and they were ready to kill him. So that is true. When I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. Are those the, the full facts? Like if you remember last week, the tribune, they brought him in to flog him, as we, I think I mentioned earlier already. They came in to beat him to get him to speak of why the Jews were trying to kill him. They didn't find out he was a Roman citizen until Paul offered it. And so what Claudius was given, he was given the Hollywood TV version here, the Hollywood movie. Like, you ever, you ever watch like a, a based on a true story movie and you go back and find out that there's like two, two facts in the whole movie that are, that are real? Like, this is what he's given. He's like, I am the rescuer here. The rescuer is not Claudius, right? Like, we understand that this is God delivering him. And so Ben, you might be a Ben, like, what does this have to do with God keeping his promise? I want to point your attention back to verse 11 of Acts 23. This is from last week, but we really didn't mention it. And it fits in perfectly to what we're talking about today. Verse 11 says this, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, So, so here's what took place. If you, like, he's brought into the barracks after they go after him, and then the following night he has this vision from the Lord, and this is what the Lord says to him. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. If Paul would have been ambushed, he would have not made it to Rome to speak, which is what the Lord told him to do. Man, here's the great hope for us, believer. If God has given you a promise, it's guaranteed that he's going to fulfill that promise. Because he always does that. He always fulfills his promises. Here's where we as believers get twisted, and I've seen many people do this. I had a vision. And God told me something was going to happen, and so it's going to happen. Um, did, I, did I told you? Uh, so when it came to our housing situation, I don't th- I, sometimes I get my services mixed up, so bear with me. Um, but when, when we uh, were searching for a new home out here in Elkhart County, there was a house that we found that I was 100% convinced this is what God had for us. Did I say this yet? Okay. <laughs> and... I mean, I started journaling about it and, like, praying and, like, just fully convinced, excited. You ever have those moments where you're just fully convinced? And I don't get that way often. And usually when I do, God usually, that's the way he's leading. And so I'm journaling. I'm not telling Nikki about it because I am fully convinced this is what God's going to happen. And then time went on. Time moved. And finally, it came to the point where the door was shut. And I was devastated because I had put all of my hope into a promise that was never given to me. You see, we have to be careful as believers that we don't allow our feelings of something happening lead us to believe it's a promise. The same thing happened to the church I grew up in. A pastor was beloved by the people. I was a, I was a kid, I was a young kid at the time. Had gone through a lot. Uh, he lost a 13-year-old son to leukemia. And this was years after that, but just, just beloved by his people. And he got devastating news one day about cancer being terminal for him. And there were people in the church that began to pray. That's a good thing to pray, right? It's a good thing to pray for healing, right? They became fully convinced that God had told them he is going to be healed. He's going to make it through. Does God do that sometimes? Yeah. 
But sadly, he ended up passing away. And these people were absolutely crushed. And their faith, to a certain degree, was crushed. They were putting their hope in a promise that wasn't a promise. God doesn't promise us health, wealth, and prosperity. If he did, what do you tell to Brother Paul? Brother Paul, you're a sinner. Look at all the suffering. You must be because you've done something bad. Do you realize that's the garbage that's being spread about the world? Watch TV. You watch televangelists. Most of them are spreading this kind of junk around. God never promised that. Brothers, here's what God promised. Jesus promised us. Whoever would come after me must do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. He also said this. In this world you will have Health, wealth, and prosperity. <laughs> Trouble. But here's the promise. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Don't fear the one who can take your body. Fear the one who can take your soul. Let me point you to the hope that we have. The promise that we have based in scripture, not by anything we feel. Now, do I believe God sometimes moves in those ways? Yes, but I am never dogmatic on feelings. And I always get nervous when people say, God told me this. And it's not scripture. Makes me nervous. John 14. Turn with me real there real quick. Because this is worthy of, if you're an underliner, underlining it, but worthy of your eyes to be on it as well. This is the promise that we have. And this was Paul's hope. Like Paul's ultimately going to die for his faith. But his hope was not in this world. John 14 verses 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Brothers and sisters, our hope is not in health in this world. Let me ask you a question. Where are all the people that Jesus healed at right now? In the grave. He healed them, but eventually they died. Our hope is not in our life. Our hope is not in the breath that we breathe. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus right now is preparing a place for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ. A place where we won't have to deal with cancer. We won't have to deal with broken relationships. We won't have to deal with sin. We won't have to deal with our own failures anymore. That's the promise that we have, but it's, it's to come. It's not our promise that we have now. And if God promised it in his word, he will keep it. We find our yes and amen in who? In Christ. He has paid the price for us. God made a promise to Paul that he would speak in Rome, and God kept it. But here's the thing, if we are not in the scriptures, if we are not giving our lives over to the study of his word, we're going to miss out. We are going to be led by our feelings then. And listen, there, there are times as a kid, please let me know if one of you all prayed this prayer too. Like, Lord, could you just send me a letter in the mail? I won't even tell anybody about it. Just <laughs> give, me, give me some kind of special message that I can see with my eyes that this is what you want me to do or this is what's going to happen. You ever have that kind of prayer? Like the reality is there's far more hope in the written word than anything I could ever feel because my feelings I know betray me. 
because I'm sinful and I desire selfish things. But when I dive into the word of God and I read things like John 14, those are the promises that carry me. When the things are at their most uncertain, when life is at its darkest, I remember the promises of God. But listen, brothers and sisters, don't think you're going to find hope in this world if you put this on your shelf Monday through Saturday. These, these words are not to weigh you down, they're to give you life. This is the love of God, 1 John 5, 3, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. If they're a burden, you're looking at it the wrong way. And Maybe you just need to seek the Lord and ask for understanding, God, why am I burdened by these things? God doesn't set up laws so that we lose our fun. He actually frees us so that we can have far more joy than we could ever imagine. Our problem is, is we are far more satisfied with McDonald's when he is offering us Ruth's Chris. Amen? If you choose McDonald's over that, we need to have a talk here, all right? Going back to point number one. <laughs> That's extreme behavior to choose that. I, I like McDonald's, but it doesn't compare to Ruth's Chris. In this life, we will face uncertainties. And when those times come, may we seek the face of God. When we are facing uncertain times because of the sinfulness of humanity, may we be reminded that, listen, a rejection of God leads to extreme behavior. Don't be surprised. Pray for their souls. Pray for God to open their eyes. And then remember that nothing ever happens without God noticing. Nothing ever goes by where God is not paying attention. Don't believe the lie that God is not there. Scripture says in Hebrews that he will never leave us or forsake us. And then remember that God always keeps his promises. If he said it in his word, we can take it to the bank. Let me leave you with a few action steps as Zach uh, comes up to lead us in a closing song here. I encourage you, I'm not going to read this, but memorize Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Just be reminded of how intimately our Savior cares for us. Dwell on Psalm 139 some more. I read about half of it. Read through that. That'll serve your soul well. God is so good. He cares so much about you. Nothing happens apart from him being aware. Then a question for you to ponder. Is there any area of your life where you are rejecting God? Again, what I mean by that. We don't like outright reject him, but we decide, you know what, this behavior that is not right, I'm still going to do because I like it. That's a rejection of God. And then lastly, just reminder, remember God's promises. Get in the word of God. If you want to know his promises, you want to find hope in this world, it's not going to come by you um, meditating and hoping that he shows up on your doorstep going to come because we are dwelling on the words of God and letting his word dwell within us. Let me invite you to stand as I, I pray and we'll close in a song here. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord, that even when we face uncertain times, God, we know that we have a Savior and a Lord and a God who looks and sees us and knows us and gives us what we need to make it through those times. Lord, grow our hope in you this morning. May we grow ever more amazed at your grace. 
Father, you alone are worthy of praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.